Welcome to episode number 75 of Breaking Business Barriers. Jared will introduce our guests here in just a second, but I do want to thank our, our sponsors, American Option Insurance and Open Media Source. They help us put these things together and, and do all that. They're cool people. And uh, if you ever need insurance, you call those uh, folks over at AOI. Anyway, this is your host, Brent Duhame, joined with the ever-famous Biotide, Jared Tide. Jared, I'm going to flip it over to you. We've got some power entrepreneurs on today, and I'm totally stoked to hear their story. You want to intro? Absolutely. So really excited about our guests today, Austin Good and Lo Hornbuckle. Uh, I've been following you guys for a while. Austin, I think I read an article about you and your uh, real estate empire about... Uh, probably three, four years ago now. So really excited to have you guys on. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Well, it's awesome. And so Austin's joining us from the lake house, Ooh, the, the lake house, but none of us three got the invite. I'm not sure why, but you know, maybe Lowe did, but I know uh, Jared and I didn't, but we're, we're just going to press forward and hope maybe one day if we can go check that bad boy out, I, I certainly wouldn't pass that up opportunity. Well, both of you came together, so let's let's draw, let's unpack this a little bit because you guys, as entrepreneurs in real estate, which is Jared's wheelhouse for his entire career, my entire career, so this one happens to hit home for us, and I'm excited to hear it. And whoever wants to run with it, but you know, as an entrepreneur, there's challenges, there's risks, there's rewards, and there are sleepless nights. But why don't uh, why don't you guys? form a team here as you already are and tell us that story and how maybe it inspires others that went that wouldn't mind taking that uh that path that you guys have done Lo, Lo, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you kick this one off because my uh my charger is not charging so i'm gonna push it over here to the other side so <laughs> got it well uh, so I'm, my name's Lo Hornbuckle and I'm in, I'm in Dallas and uh, Austin and I are partnered in a lot of things together. Um, we have our separate companies as well. So basically the way to think about us is we really have three companies. It's not, not exactly true, but we basically have a, <clears throat> a company that builds and develops uh, real estate, primarily um, uh, build to rent townhouses and assisted living and memory care projects. That's Austin's company which you can tell you about in a minute. And then we have a private equity firm that raises uh, equity for uh, our projects called Goodhorn Capital um, that we're both in. Obviously, that's how the name came about. And then uh, we have a company called Sage Oak Assisted Living and Memory Care, which is the operations company for the assisted living and the memory care uh, operations. So that's just kind of a little bit about us. Austin also has a a very successful real estate brokerage. He's rocking the good home, uh, good home team shirt that him and his brother uh, are in together, primarily run by his brother, um, but uh, he's one of the, uh, the owners as well. And uh, I will be stalling while Austin looks for his charger. Uh, he's, he's uh, you know, it's, it's tough living at the lake house. You never know when uh, you need a charger. But, hey, um, all right, so here's, here's the question. As Austin gets ready to roll, we won't put any pressure on him. The the how the heck did you get started in all of that that's a that's a mouthful and then some how did you uh determine that man real estate's my career i'm gonna lay it on the line i could i could uh, make it i could break it whatever the case might be i happened to start out um actually my brother was a real estate agent before me um back in well he started before i did about five years before i did 
and uh, had been, I, I was in oil and gas um, doing boiler room sales. And uh, he had been begging me to come over for quite some time. So um, I kind of got an easier transition maybe than most because, I mean, he was, um, he was doing fairly well for a new up and coming uh, agent. And so I finally came over to, to join him and then form the Good Home Team in late 2008, early 2009. So, but, but backing up a little bit, I mean, I had always envisioned real estate as a path for me, mainly due to the fact that from a young age, I always wanted to earn a lot of money for whatever reason. And uh, I read a, a book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad at the age of 13, and, and, and then many others after that, and everything kept pointing towards real estate. So um, it, I, I knew that that's where I would end up. Really? So oil and gas, boiler room sales, but you had a path laid um, by a family member, which is pretty awesome, right? Did, did you ever look back, Austin? I mean, you, you went from, hey, you did this over here and you're making, making a good, good amount of money and then going into real estate. And let's remind everyone, not a really very easy time in America with a recession, right? Yeah, we started, yeah, we started during the recession, um, which some would argue is not a great time. I would say it maybe is the best time to start, especially if, if your path um, has anything to do with uh, investments and purchasing and things like that, because you get to ride the wave up. Um, you know, in hindsight, I, I didn't really understand cycles, real estate cycles as much back then. Otherwise, I probably bought, would buy a, a lot more than I did. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a good transition over. It was awesome that my brother had kind of, you know, started to, to create the, the pathway there. And then he, he actually took a, a pretty large pay cut. And so did I. I was making more than six figures at a young, I think I was uh, 23 or something. Um, and we took some pretty large pay cuts. He basically gave me half of his pay um, for me to come over. And I worked on the business. He worked in the business. We gradually built that up. Now we do somewhere between 50 to $80 million in volume a year on that side. He, he primarily runs that and I run the um, investment and development side. So that's awesome. So you were in real estate sales uh, with your brother, Nick, and you guys were also doing some flips back then, weren't you? I believe I remember reading. Yeah. yeah. So um, I started off as an agent um, and only after like a year or two, I think we bought our first flip and then our first rental and then it kind of kept snowballing and snowballing. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, uh, just through networking and meeting more people that were doing bigger and bigger things and just getting in, being in the right places, I guess, at the right time allowed us to, uh, essentially leverage the experiences of, uh, of others to go bigger. Um, and, you know, we, we managed to get into our first big development in uh, 2012, which is a 72 unit duplex development. It, was, it wasn't completely built out at that point in time. Uh, there was only uh, five duplexes on the ground. So there was a 31 more duplexes, 62 units left to be built, but, um, it was a it was a, a guy that 
I'm still great friends with a mentor of mine that I was able to buy out a couple of his partners on and him as well for a project that their development loan was coming due on and finished the project out. And, and that actually catapulted us um, all the way to where we're at today in the sense that we've, we've got so much holdings in Denton. Um, and I, I don't know anything. I still, to this day, don't know a whole heck of a lot about Denton, to be quite honest with you. We've got I'm a lot from of- from Denton myself. I was born in Denton, so. Oh, where are you? Okay. Next to the Goodwill on University Drive, so. Oh, whatever. wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think um, whatever it was, fate, whatever you want to call it, all I know is it took a lot of convincing from them to, to, to have me take it over, which in hindsight is kind of a great opportunity who's hitting me over the head with it, but I'm glad I took it. And then we ran with it and uh, I did a subsequent project. Uh, these are all single family build to rent projects. Um, and uh, now we're on our third one, which uh, fast forward, Lo and I met through uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, um, said that we should probably meet. Lo is a assisted living, senior living operator. I'm a developer. He was looking for a developer partner um, to handle development and construction. And um, I wasn't necessarily looking for assisted living, but um, I met with him anyway. And we, we went out to lunch. He, he toured me through all his facilities and I could definitely tell that he was a phenomenal operator. Um, I, I always, I call him a unicorn, his head's getting bigger every time, but um, he, he's kind of a unicorn operator, which is what you need in assisted living because it's, it's a very hard business to operate. And I would never imagine getting into that business without somebody that I really believed in. So uh, long story longer is that we, we met that way. Um, we put a project together. We're, uh, we're in the process of building um, the first stage, which is 96 beds of an assisted living campus in Denton. And then right next door to that is my 72 unit that's already built and then 89 unit. And uh, Lo actually helped um, raise the capital because we, we formed a, a capital raising company uh, subsequent to partnering on on the assisted living that's awesome speaking of your uh, assisted living centers in Denton uh, Brent and I were chatting the other day about a good uh, we were asking each other hey what's a good what's a good gift to get my wife and I said well I know a guy who named a street after his wife so <laughs> yeah it's kind of tough to, tough to <laughs> do, right? that's pretty cool man that's awesome Low. All right. So we got the unicorn. I don't, you know, that's a, that's a, that's big time praise for those in the business of raising capital. That's not an easy thing to do. So let's unpack your story a little bit low and, and uh, because connections rule the roost and judging from our communications uh, seems to me that I can send you a message and in five seconds later, there's a, there's a, uh, a return message. So I'm, I'm guessing you don't sleep a whole hell of a lot, but, but I'd like uh, to sleep more, but let's, uh, yeah, let's, way that it does. yeah, let's unpack your story, man. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, Austin, I have somewhat similar backgrounds. I just sort of stayed in the boiler room longer than he did. So, uh, I ran a car dealership for like 11 years, um, started off in sales and then, uh, got into the finance side. And that was a really important thing to be in because in finance, you deal with a couple of things. Number one, 
you're talking to lenders all day and it gets you a good opportunity to understand how risk reward works. You're making a lot of judgment calls in the finance office. There's also a lot of sales involved. It's a very heavy relationship business because, you know, if you have 10 banks and at, the, at those banks, you have one or two contacts and there's only like 15 or 20 people that you need to know. And you constantly have to go to that well to get them to do deals for you to, to can you waive this stipulation? Can you do that? And so um, it's a different type of sales because, you know, I've met people before that if we need to get one deal done, they might do a better job than me because they would shoot the moon on that one deal. But if the deal went bad, then our relationship with that lender would be uh, jeopardized. So, you know, being in the, the business of convincing lenders to, to buy paper over and over and over again takes kind of a special dynamic. And that was kind of my, uh, my, my calling card was at the dealership. Probably a cool story for other entrepreneurs. When I left the dealership, um, I had, had done a bunch of real estate transactions with the owner of the dealership, uh, meaning that this was a guy that had a lot of excess cash. And I was like, you know, what do you do with it? And he's just like, I've got millions of dollars in CDs. And I, I get 1% on those. I'm like, cool. If I could show you a way to earn a little bit more money on your money, would you want to know about it? And he's like, if you're involved, I'm in because he had a lot of faith in me. And so I started kind of, you know, having a private investor for my real estate transactions and look, I, I paid him a little over market value, so he was happy, but he gave me a lot of transactional freedom. You know, I could just basically get 100% of the purchase price plus rehab, and uh, it was a very mutually uh, amicable relationship. Uh, and then as I left the company, I said, look, I'm going to start another company. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I'm going to start another company. You know, would that be something you want to learn more about? He said, absolutely. And so when I got into the assisted living business, because my dad had a really bad experience on hospice and... I spent about a year trying to figure out if I wanted to sue the hospice company and then decided, hey, rather than like sue a hospice company, like the statute limitations for what you could sue in Louisiana are pretty low. The amount of money they would have gotten wouldn't have made me feel any better about the situation. I was like, you know, let's do something positive, right? So I started a company kind of in my dad's honor to, um, you know, help other people that have care needs. And so Say Joke Assisted Living was kind of born out of a difficult family circumstance. And, uh, you know, look, I've done projects, but I hate it. I'm bad at it. I shouldn't do construction projects. And so uh, as time went on, I realized, look, we have something here, but I needed to find somebody that I thought could balance out my weaknesses. And, uh, you know, found that in Austin in the sense that, you know, Austin's very good at the development construction side. And I'm, I'm kind of the, I'm kind of the sales guy. Uh, so it worked out really well to kind of pair those those two together. And so I kind of focus on operations and, and raising capital and he's kind of, you know, acquiring the land and, and developing it and, and uh, building it and it helps a lot with capital raising as well, but we overlap in a couple of areas. So that's just kind of the quick, you know, rundown of, of, of our story and how we met. Man, that's so cool to see you guys just take, you know, a piece of land. And, and I mean, I can't even imagine all the steps that must be involved to, you know, get it approved, get the planning done. <laughs> Um, you know, actually make it happen. Can you, either one of you guys give us, you know, any story of, um, you know, a certain time where a, a development just looked impossible and, you know, you had some major objections and, and, you know, it ended up working out okay. No, it, it, it always works out the way you, you want it to. Um, never over budget, never over timeline, never happens. Never happens. Ever. Yeah, I, I could give you, I can give you a story. Um, I can give you a story about, um, City of Denton, uh, who Lowe's going to remind me is a thorough partner of ours. Um, you got to reframe everything. We don't complain about them. They're a thorough business partner. Yeah, exactly. Like they, uh, so we have an 89 unit 
uh, townhouse slash duplex development. It is that way now. Um, originally bought the land. It was zoned to allow townhouses, no big deal. Townhouses have been being built in the city of Denton for the past however many years, 20 years in this zoning specifically. And there was, a, there was actually a project going on that just got approved prior to us receiving a final plat, which by the way, final plat is you're at the finish line. You're almost ready to go. You're, you're, I mean, I think I was a year in almost at that point. And they decide, the city of Denton decides all of a sudden that um, they've been interpreting the code wrong this entire time. And the code that they're talking about was there's a, there's a maximum lot coverage ratio of say 80% in this zoning area. And the, uh, the way that developers would get around it and builders would get around it is they would use uh, pavers in the driveway so, so to not count towards the impervious since water could go through it. Um, so, so that's how they got around it forever. Uh, and they decided, you know what, that's kind of a loophole. We're going to shut that loophole down. We just approved this other project literally a month ago. And, you know, you've based your entire, uh, you know, buying of this piece of property on this, but what, it doesn't matter. We change our mind, nah, 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 nah. You can't do anything about it. So I took it through a, I took it through a rezoning process um, because uh, essentially one side of the road, I was able to get the zoning that did actually allow for me to have townhouses um, because we were close to getting platted for all townhouses. We had to go back and either A, replat to upzone everything to allow the townhouses to be built. Um, either re to, to allow the townhouses to be built um, or we had to um, to actually replat to replat so we went in for a rezone we thought it was going to be a slam dunk rezone it was not a slam dunk rezone I mean I went first of all PNZ staff denied it they said they recommended denial to planning and zoning Planning and zoning approved us. They saw our vision, said, of course, I want the left side of the street to look exactly like the right side of the street. We went to city council. City council just killed us. Um, and I, I think the only people, the only person that voted for us was the mayor, actually, um, for a lot of different reasons that made absolutely zero sense. So um, we ended up having to start the platting process over. We had to replat the left side of the road to be duplexes, the right side of the road to stay townhouses. We luckily, we were able to somehow finagle it where we didn't lose any units, which is pretty incredible, seeing as how duplexes require six foot side setbacks. And, you know, on a townhouse, you know, you, there's no setback except for in between buildings. So th that was definitely a time, a challenging time. That's, it, it took me from, from the time I purchased the property to, getting approval was about two years. Wow. Hmm. That's a long time. I'm much luckier than him. So this stuff doesn't really happen um, to us, just to his stuff. Although now I'm involved in this project. I wasn't involved at the, that stage. So had I been there, we'd have been, we'd been fine. So, uh, yeah. so Austin, what you're saying, it's, it, hey, it's a piece of cake. It's, it's no problem. Real estate's for everybody. But as, as we get into this, and I'm, and I'm obviously being sarcastic, so it took a lot of work, a lot of detail, patience, and money, tons of it, and forming relationships. The basis of breaking business barriers has really been 
everyone faces at least one fork in the road in business, right? And, and probably more than just one, but um, Lode, did you have a point where you had a fork in the road and you could have either turned right, taken a left or plowed into that, uh, that big old tree? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, for me, um, I actually, uh, when I left the car dealership, the first job I had was I, I worked as a manager at a 400 unit apartment complex. Um, it was very hard to get hired, um, because I'd, I'd been pretty successful at the dealership. And so, um, I sort of reverse engineered my hiring process. So, um, you know, t- typically when you, you know, go for a job, you talk to a manager, then you talk to the regional manager and maybe get hired. I couldn't get a job. No one would hire me. I thought it was hilarious. They didn't understand why that I, you know, why I wanted to be a leasing agent in an apartment complex after, you know, doing what I did for so long. And I told them, I was like, well, I want to own apartments. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. And so I couldn't get a job, but I had invested in an apartment deal as a passive investor. So I called the, the CEO of the company. I was like, Hey man, you probably don't know me. I'm invested in this deal in Carrollton, but you know, if possible, could you, you know, let me know if you know anybody that's hiring because I'm looking for a job. He's like, point of fact, we're looking for a job and uh, someone for Fort Worth. So my, my hiring process was CEO, regional manager, property manager. So it was exactly backwards. So I think there's a lesson there, but ultimately um, the fork in the road for me was I was managing this apartment complex and I didn't mind it when the kids were in school. When the kids were out of school, it was the worst management experience because these kids at this particular location, they were bad. They were very misbehaved children. I don't like kids in general, but if they're bad kids, then my gosh, that's the worst. And so I literally did things like, um, you know, I'd come around the corner and be like, please don't throw blocks of concrete at your own air conditioning unit, right? Like stuff like that. Um, I literally, um, there was a section of the fence that um, they kept tearing out and maintenance kept putting it back. So being the, you know, great mind I am, I'm like, you know, if they keep tearing the fence out, apparently there was a, a restaurant on the other side of the fence and they just wanted to cut through. So I'm like, why don't we just install a gate so that they stop doing that? You know, cause we were spending like $300 a month on replacing this section of fence. So we installed a gate. But the point of the story was, is that uh, I just didn't like doing it. And so it kind of made me go look for something that I kind of consider conscious capitalism. So I quit that job in May of uh, 20. Uh, 2015. And in, uh, in, in June of 2015, was already kind of working on the assisted living uh, memory care company because I felt like it, it was similar, but it, it was dealing with people that um, very different demographic than kids throwing concrete blocks uh, through their air conditioning units. It was dealing with people that, uh, you know, were appreciative of your services. I felt like I was helping people versus um, providing, you know, I think sometimes apartments sometimes can feel like you're providing a commodity. I know they're not commodities necessarily, but 90% of apartment complexes are 90% the same. So it just, it felt like um, just a sort of a business where, you know, harking back to being in the car dealership, you know, when you're selling a new car, they're all the same. When you're selling a used car, they're very unique. And I always wanted to be in a business where I sold a, a non-commodity product where essentially your service and the way you could stand apart um, could really separate you from your competitors. And that, that's pretty hard to do in the apartment business, in my opinion. Well, I'm going to remember that, Jared, you know, the, the gate, there's a famous gate there in Lowe's story that is, uh, happened to be part of his fork, fork of the road. Austin, did you have, uh, you have a fork in the road where you just went, mm, I, I may have an idea what that might look like uh, based on what you've already said, but was there a fork in the road for you? No, I don't have any real divine forks in the road. I think um, there's, there's obviously very, many forks in the road that all of us experience. Um, so I can't really pinpoint 
one exact uh, fork in the road for me. Uh, Maybe talk about uh, deciding to raise capital versus do a deal on your own. That might be a, that's a big deal. Yeah. Yep. I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I was on this 89 unit townhouse project. Uh, so all the projects prior to, to low and I's project, um, I've done pretty much uh, by myself uh, with my brother, who's my business partner and perhaps maybe one other partner or, or something of that nature. So we've never really syndicated uh, before up until um, I met Lowe and we did it for the assisted living. So after we raised the funds for the assisted living, all great and dandy, I've got this separate project Lowe's not involved in time um, and was looking at it. And I was just chatting with Lowe about it and saying, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence here on whether or not I, I fund this project myself, take it down myself. I can, I can do it if I, if I phase it out and um, yada, yada. It's, it's definitely going to be a stretch in terms of using all my available capital and et cetera. So um, he definitely helped me kind of run through that process and decide that kind of a hybrid model was, was better to, to allow some investors in, which would help diversify and mitigate, I guess, risk on, on my side, and also juice returns a little bit on the GP side, but, but, but more importantly, it, it's a, so this is a phase two of a proven model that um, I was, again, willing to do completely by myself because I knew it's, it, it's so proven. So it was a good opportunity to also build an investor uh, uh, following, I guess, um, and, and allow them in on basically insider projects, uh, projects that would normally never get offered because, you know, it's, it's a phase two of a very successful development. So that was, that was eye-opening. Uh, well, to give you a little bit of context, this conversation took place in January of this year. And uh, the alternative was, is that Austin was going to put essentially the lion's share of all his cash holdings into this project, right? So he was going to lay it all on the line. Now, how different would you feel right now if you had all your money tied up into a project after COVID happened and recession and probably not sitting in the lake house right now? I 100% I, I wouldn't be sitting in a brand new lake house uh, that we just bought. Um, and I 100% would be um, uh, close to heart attack at any given <laughs> you know. So, you know, because the thing about raising money is, is that it, it, it diversifies risk. It's not that the project isn't worthy. It's just, you know, putting all your chips in the middle on one project is very different than putting 30% of your chips in the middle on one project. And so it, it was kind of a win-win. It allowed, you know, us to uh, offer something to the investors that was beneficial for them. And it also allowed him to not, you know, lose his mind because it's very terrifying when you have, when you're all in and then a pandemic happens and then a recession. And um, actually the funny thing about that project, the day we closed it, um, was the day that Trump announced a national emergency for COVID. So I'm like, you know, wow. we're never going to forget the fact that we just did an $18 million yeah. transaction on the day a national, I've never even heard of a national emergency. Being, I didn't even know they did that. Right. So it was really interesting to have that happen on the same day. Wow. And we, we still had some capital left to raise, actually. We, we, we did have some capital commitments that, that did fall off, um, but it was nothing. It, it was just a bunch of folks got scared, obviously, um, of, and, and justifiably so. 
Yeah, when the Dow has the worst week in its history, it'll sometimes scare <laughs> off some investors when you're closing that week. So fun times. But we still we still pulled through and actually we we closed the deal. But I think that goes to the fact uh, that we're operators first and 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 money raisers second. And and I think so often, especially in the past, I don't know, three, four, five years, um, syndication has been the buzzword because everybody's making money on everything. So it's just like uh, I, I think operators have um, lost focus or maybe they were never operators to begin with. They just uh, were capital raisers. So there's, there's nothing wrong with either or, but we feel like you've got to have the operations down in order to feel good about taking, uh, being good stewards of other people's capital. You know what? So Jared, I know we're bumping time here because I promised low. I know he's got a, he's got a call coming up here in just a few minutes. We always like to pass some advice. And so if I could, if I could collect this real fast, um, you know, the two of you came to, came together to form a partnership because you've met somehow you, you, you know, obviously active and out there doing things, but diversify risk, spread wealth. And I think that's what the two of you have done. You know, I did, I did my, uh, my background and, and little research on the two of you. Very impressive, by the way. And, and Jared, <clears throat> thank you so much again, as always hosting. <clears throat> co-hosting Breaking Business Barriers and bringing these two gentlemen. We'll make sure that we uh, get get your information out there on, on the podcast when we release it. Make sure if, if we have investors that are interested in visiting with either one of you or both of you, that'd be awesome. But uh, as episode number 75 of Breaking Business Barriers, and I promised low, I didn't want to let him down, that he wouldn't be late to his next call and appreciate the flexibility. Hey, the two of you have been amazing, and we have a, a very young listenership, which is really interesting, and, and indirectly, that's been really awesome for me to be able to see, having two kids in college, and, uh, and Jared's young ones, uh, no doubt, entrepreneurs in the making. But with that, folks, we'll wrap up episode number 75 of Breaking Business Barriers. Austin, hello. Thank you so much, and Jared, as always, appreciate you guys. All right, y'all take care. And as we always finish, it is onward and upward. I'll take care. Thanks for having us. Yep.